This is a more than just podcast production. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 331 of the More Than Just Go podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell, and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. More Than Just Code is produced in Toronto, and we, we also acknowledge that the land we're, on, we're situated on is part of the greater Toronto area land of the Mississaugas of the Credit, Anishinaabe, Chippewa, Haudenosaunee, and the Huron-Wendat peoples. Alrighty, so we'll just start off with some fact check here. Um, I mentioned, uh, I don't know what I said on the show, but I was talking about a gentleman who does, who I follow on uh, on the uh, YouTube. Uh, his name is Marquis Brown, or Marcus Brown, I guess. Um, but it's uh, his, he goes by MKBHD, which is a little, well, doesn't roll off the tongue quite so well. So I mentioned him last week as, as being one of the people I, he was the one who was doing the unboxing stuff from the, the last event that Apple had before uh, the iPad Pro um, M1 event and the Mac, iMac M1 event. And the other thing we were talking, yeah, special guests Evan and Leo were on last weekend or last time we had a show and uh, uh, we couldn't remember what the third thing was that they introduced at the, at the Apple event. And that, of course, was AirTags. So, duh. Uh, and I bought, you know, four of them and I've been using my 3D printer to print the whole for them and all that kind of stuff. So we put one in the car because we park on the street here, right? And it's kind of handy. Like, you know, we kind of generally, you know, tell each other where the car is. We only have one car between the two of us, right? And uh, so we put an air tag in the car so we would be able to find out where we parked the car. That's kind of handy, right? And uh, I've got visual. Oh, yes, right. And the uh, the app we were talking about that that generates uh, iOS app that generates uh, QR codes. If you're interested, it's called Visual Codes app, and that was I met the developer at WWC 2019, and I've been using it every night ever since then to create barcodes for things like the podcast. Like I think Mark, you were talking about like a business card kind of deal where you could scan uh, a QR code and pass on your information to somebody, right? Mm-hmm. And we were also talking about Better Call Saul. I think in the after show, right? Better Call Saul and uh, Breaking Bad and um, Tiny, I think his name was, uh, the, the bodyguard for um, for our pal uh, Saul Goodman, who was played by Lavelle Clawford, and the character is Huel Babineau is the name of the character on the show, but it, I think he goes by Tiny, right? So as a follow-up, um, yesterday, um, June 29th, uh, 2021, Today's the 30th as we record, but on the 29th was the 14th anniversary of the the for sale date of the original OG iPhone, and uh, they covered it on the, on the Mac Break with Rene Ritchie and um, Louis, Leo Laporte and uh, Andy Anako, uh, and they they covered uh, they talked about the the iPhone and they sh- and they walked through. I'd like to get I have to get a link for the show notes. They walked through the. Uh, Nine to five apparently had a retrospective with pictures and videos and stuff like that of of the event of you know because they they were talking I don't know if you remember this but you had to go stand in line at the at the Apple store or the AT and Z store to get uh, an iPhone back in the day like in the, those first iPhones and there was only a limited amount of them at each store and uh, you couldn't order them online and that kind of stuff right so um, that lasted for a few years it wasn't just right at the beginning yeah no, definitely yeah, yeah every mm-hmm. every year that they came out with a new phone it was an event right yep. yeah did when did you get your first iPhone, Mark? The 3G was my first iPhone. Really? Oh, wow! You didn't have the you didn't have the the 2G or the Edge one. 
No, no, um, it was uh, like silverback gorilla one. I believe it was. It was originally eight gig. Maybe it right? was four gig or eight gig. Yeah, came in a big giant box. It was that. It was this. That was the second version, though, right? The first. Yeah, three yeah. G was the second version. Yeah, that's yeah. what I, I had. The second version. I didn't have the first version. Yeah, but that's why I, yeah. I was surprised. I mean, three G was the first one that was officially available in Canada. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. what about you, Jaime? What's your first phone? Pretty late in the game compared to you all. That was the iPhone 4S in 2011. 4S. Wow, that's that's even after Steve Jobs had the big kerfuffle uh, at keynote, um, which I was there for actually, which was which was kind of fun. But uh, yeah, no, I I was uh, playing hockey at the time, and one of the guys I knew was was into the stuff because he worked for Rogers, and uh, he went down to San Francisco and said, "Hey, do you want an iPhone?" I'm like, "Yes." So he brought me back an iPhone from San Francisco that he picked up at AT and T, and I think I think I paid like five hundred dollars for it or something like that um and uh yeah and it's funny because i took it out today after watching the, the thing and um, like i've got a 3gs here and i've replaced the battery in it already at least once and it's it won't charge anymore because it wants because the battery's spent in it right but so but i pulled up my my original silverback you know eight gigabyte uh phone and uh which by the way we had to unlock them to, to use them in canada because we, we couldn't even um we didn't have enough service for it i think you had to do that through the states too right if you want, didn't want to use at&t but um it charges and runs and all that kind of stuff so i can actually i can actually launch the app and or launch the phone and use apps and stuff like that unfortunately for me the home button was destroyed by my grandchildren playing with it in the back seat or the car so um, anyway, I, I launch an app and then I have to shut the phone down to quit the app. So mm. it's kind of a drag, but yeah, lots of fun. Good thing it doesn't like the app doesn't persist between launches, right? So that would suck. Anyway, so that's uh, that's the name of that tune, and um, I didn't. Oh, I did put it here. Yeah. So the other part, the other thing they talked about on the show, which is a bit kind of more, I think, uh, widespreading, other than the fact that we're all here because of the iPhone is the 20th anniversary of WebKit was also yesterday. And um, WebKit was, you know, the Apple's first attempt at building their own browser. You know, John, Don Melt was hired by Scott Forstall to uh, create a browser for the Mac, right? And I think uh, at the time, it, I want to say Gecko was the sort of go-to one, but it, it was larger than... The, apparently the the one they looked at was larger than um the like the actual code base was larger than all of mac os at the time uh, mac os 10 i guess they called it back then and uh so or yeah mac os 10 and um so he took the conqueror you know kde khtml browser and ported it over to to this and created an open source project called webkit and webkit is now in just about every thing right it's obviously a big part of of our world ios and mac but Apparently, BlackBerry used a port of it. I think Chromium used for had a port of it for a while. Um, you know, so just about every every mobile. Device. In fact, Apple. I think they they make people use WebKit. I heard that them say that on the show today. That even like the Chrome browser on iOS is also using WebKit under the, under the hood. So kind of an interesting thing. What do you guys have any comments about WebKit or history of? Not really. I'm kind of surprised it's that old. I'm surprised it predated the iPhone by that much. You know, my, my memory is getting kind of foggy of those days, I guess. Well, we used to, if you remember, the very first Mac OS X had um, Explorer was the browser, right? And I think, I, yeah. if I remember correctly, Office X was the first, or Office Ten, I guess, was the first uh, official um, set of apps that I had that were native on, on the old beta, right? Mm. So I think Apple had a deal with, with I mean, I think it, can, it sort of wrote off that sort of, you know, controversial uh, Bill Gates, Microsoft investing in Apple in their in their low point, right? Uh, when Jobs came back, you know, mm. just before the, the iMac. So yeah, the, I think the um, Explorer browser was was a big part of, of of those days, right? 
Yep. I'm trying to remember when, like, when the first iMac, when the Bondi Blue Mac uh, iMac came out, the, it didn't, it didn't have Safari. Right? Safari's was 20 years ago. Would be was that work out to that 90? was like no, 98, no. 99 when the when the Blue iMac came out, didn't wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I want to say nine. Well, jo- I remember I was in Vancouver in 96, 97. So that's when Jobs came back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think uh, no, no, yeah, yeah, you're right. It was around 90, 98 maybe that the I'm. I have to I have to look it up, but I think 98. 98 around that time yeah i think you're right around that time it was when the bondi blue mac first first came out right mm-hmm. and then the rainbow max came after that but uh but I, I don't i don't recall if safari was where was safari then let's have a quick have a quick gander at the old uh wikipedia here while you're looking at that up we just had an earthquake you had an earthquake just now, just now. yep oh wow cool yep Little one, not a big deal. Yeah, I'm looking online now to see if there's any any record of it to find out how big it was, but it, they're not even talking about it, so it's too small to even worry about. Okay, so the PowerPC based iMac, what came out August 15th, 1998, 22 years ago, that had a G3 processor in it, right? And um, let's see, when did Safari come out? Well, Safari obviously came out 20 years ago, which is that work out to uh, 2001, right? Yeah. 2021 minus 20 is 2001. Thanks for helping, guys. <laughs> I went off on a little tangent to look up because uh, you mentioned the Chrome browser thing. Um, yeah. Chrome Chromium. did use WebKit early on, um, but it yeah. looks like back in 2013, 2014 is when they split off from that. They forked and created Blink, which is the browser mm. engine behind Chromium-based browsers and include Chrome and Microsoft Edge and Opera, apparently. Opera, yes, right. Is Opera no longer using WebKit? According to this comparison of browser engines page on Wikipedia. Cool. All right. And uh, yeah, so Safari, just for science, came out in 2003 and uh, was in Panther first. First, first operating system it appeared in. Oh, yeah. Cool. It's built in WebKit and Nitro, whatever Nitro is. So there you go. That's the history of and the fact checky thing. Oh, we have one more thing in fact check, though. And that is, and I just put this here under fact check because we always talk about these kind of things in this area iPhone 12 apparently has hit 100 million, uh, estimated 100 million uh, devices sold. Um, and it's sort of having a iPhone 6 moment is what the article says here in terms of sales. It's quite a bit, eh? What do you think? Supercycle, they're calling it. It's kind of interesting that, that this happened during the pandemic. I wonder if you'd almost think that people would be less likely to go buying phones when they were stuck at home because they're not really out and about. But on the other hand, for, for a lot of people, the phone is like their main way of communicating with people. So if they can't see people in person, they're on the phone more so maybe they want the latest and greatest phone so maybe that drove up demand Mm. yeah and i think it's been what five ish years since the iphone 6 came out Mm -hmm. so if people were holding on to devices for longer and to your point, Mark, got to a pandemic and said, you know what? This thing is old and junky. I, yeah, I'll, I'll just go ahead and, and buy a new iPhone this year. Especially because all that money that was saved on not going out, you know, no no restaurant bills. Yep. No hanging out with your buddies, drinking beers. Yeah, not commuting. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. All that disposable income, I guess. The uh, the STIMI maybe had an impact on that. Mm-hmm. The which? The stimulus mm-hmm. in the U.S. Can't oh. speak around the world. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. But this report here says that the United States contributed to 40% of the global iPhone 12 Pro Max sales through April. Wow. Which is considerable for, for one country in the modern era to contribute for just, you know, that high of a percentage. Yeah, you guys buy a lot of stuff down there in the States. But, you know, it's funny because I wonder, like, obviously, I, I, I'm sure the Android devices still eclipse us, you know, in Asia and Europe, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's still like 15, 20% of the market for the iPhone globally. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Yeah. It talk, I mean, it talks about 5G and OLED being, sort of, I guess, another feature of these devices that 
makes them attractive. Yeah, because the, the six was the first significant form factor, it says here, and pent-up demand for large phones. Yeah, we all went out and, I mean, two two out of three of us bought, you know, the plus size six when it came out, right? And uh, two out of four, I should say. Yeah, we were all Let's four see, of what us. year would that been? So this is 2000. Four Musketeers. This is 2021 now, right? So the 12 came out in 2020. Was there an 11S? Math, backward math. Yeah, backward math. Was there an 11S? I don't remember anymore. No, there was 11. Okay, so that would have no, 11 would have been 2019. 10. The 10S was 18, right? What's our 10S? Yeah. Oh, yes. 10S, yeah, there was a 10S yeah, yeah, yeah. and a 10C and 10, 10R, right? 10S, 10R, 10R 10C. Right. And then a 10. And the 10. And then the 8. But 10 would have been three and a bit, three and a bit years ago because my warranty just ran out, right? Well, okay, we're gonna. Now you messed us up. Okay, 2020 was the was the 11. There's this site <laughs> called Wikipedia which lists all this stuff. Yeah, all right, fine. <laughs> fine. No, no, you can do your backup. No, 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 no. I'm enjoying. I've looked it up, and I'm kind of curious if if you'll get the right date. Yeah, okay. let's see. Right, let's, let's do it. Then. Can Mark do it? 2020 was the 11. 2019 was the was the uh, the 10s, right? 2018 mm-hmm. was the no, that can't be right. 2018 wasn't the 10. That was too late. The 10 was 2000 was earlier than that. I'll give you a hint. There was the weird year that both the eight and the 10 came out in the same year. There is no nine. Yeah, there was no nine. Right, there was the eight and the 10. But I'm confused now. So, okay, 2020 was the was the 11. No, 2020 was the 12. That's right. That's that's where we're off. Because this is 2021. 2000. Okay, 2020 was the 12. 2019 was the 11. 2018 was the 10s. Right. 2017 would have been the the eight and the 10. Uh, so 2016 would have been the 7s. Then 2015 would be the seven. 2014 would be the 6s. And then 2013 would be the six. Hmm. You're close. You're close. So close. Really? The, so close. So I, I see the pattern you were going with. You're Apple by one through through some some curveballs. So there is no 7s model. Oh, there's no 7s. Oh. So everything shifts by one year. Got it. Okay. It was so this podcast months. started in August of 2014. Mm. We're coming up on our anniversary, by the way. Mm. Yeah. So we started in 2014. So by the way, are you guys the, going was, to uh, Denver this summer? I got have an online ticket. Online so, ticket. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I don't think we're. I don't think we're ready to start flying here in Canada. We just. We just came out of. I think we just went to Plan Two or whatever they call it, mm. Phase Two mm-hmm. of reopening. Mm-hmm. We're ahead of the. We're ahead of the game in terms of uh, the, the required number of people with a single vaccine and double vaccine. I think thirty percent of us have two vaccines and about 75 or 80 percent of us have had a first shot yeah so. so here in the bay area we're over 80 percent vaccinated so we're we're 100 percent open now completely i mean there's no 100 percent open. open yeah but however uh there's fear of this new delta variant they're talking about yeah, oh yeah definitely. talking about maybe starting to well the first thing they're talking about is uh just requiring masks indoors again oh you're not you're maskless as well yeah oh where it's living living on the edge we man. are yeah i mean as far as the law is concerned we are pre-pandemic right now now here in the bay area people still wear masks a lot actually yeah but yeah i think else, elsewhere they probably don't at all yeah we have we have our you know different theories about it. i mean a lot of people outside don't wear them. i still wear mine even though i'm double vaxxed and um uh, i feel odd going outside without it yeah it's but, weird but yeah it's weird but the delta variant like i've seen some things and i don't again I'm, i don't want to promote things that i've seen on facebook or heard on the news or whatever but I have heard that you just have to be in the same room with someone who has a Delta variant to catch it. Um, like, don't have to make contact or anything like that, right? So, and and it's pretty, pretty virulent. It's, I've, I've heard that 
if one person in a family brings home the Delta, then everybody in the family gets it. So, so, so but the, I mean, that the, the being in the same room part or the, the no contact part was true about the virus in general, right? It was never a contact thing. It was yeah, always a breathing right. thing. But yeah, but they are saying the Delta is, is way more, way more uh, uh, infectious and, and dangerous than the previous one. But they're still saying, though, that the, the current vaccines still work fine for it. So. If you're vaccinated, at least as of today, you're okay. But but if you're not vaccinated, you're you could be in big trouble. But it's I mean, being vaccinated is like a seatbelt on a car. You could still you know get seriously hurt. <laughs> you know, True. Uh, you yeah. wouldn't. I mean, it keeps you out of the hospital and keeps you from just plain dying. But right. you know, right. But, but it, yeah, it, it is still a car launch. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So are we done with the iPhone? <laughs> so 2014 for that uh, iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. Mm-hmm. So six years ago. I'm off by one year. I thought it was around five. Yeah, I think okay. it totally makes sense for there to be a super cycle here. Good quality devices and people yep. having a, a reason and, and some opportunity to, to upgrade. I, I could buy this this report. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's all, I think it's speculative too, because, you know, Apple doesn't release their numbers, right? So not by model. No, they don't, they don't do that. Alrighty. Okay. Let's move on to wrapping completion handlers with async AP. API, which is a link that I found here from uh, John Sundell, I believe. Is John by, yeah, he didn't actually write it, w- but it's by his. It's yeah, WWC yep. uh, by Sundell and friends. Yeah, this is written by. Uh, I got the name of the guy. It is. Oh, yeah, Vincent. I'm going to go with Prelis. Anyway, that's that's the name I'm going to attempt to say. Yeah, this is interesting. It talks about uh, some of the new things that are happening with, um, like, I guess that that completion completion handlers is how we used to have to trail off, you know, these kind of calls before. Uh, but now there's some new shiny ways of doing stuff like the old URL uh, session data with ta- data task. You know, you had to pass in a URL request and you would get out a data or URL response and an error and returning void, whatever. Um, but now it's just, you know, a much more clean way of or a quicker way of, of writing it out without instead of having a completion handler, you're actually returning a data type of data and URL resource. So um, and it obviously can throw because you can't have an error, but. Um, so anyway, I don't know if you guys have read this article. It probably can explain it better than me, but that's the gist I got from it. That um, yeah, it's a well, much, much more succinct way of writing. Right. That. So async await is the new hotness that was introduced at WBC. Uh, so this article was specifically about how do you convert your existing uh, methods that may take a completion handler. So not using the Apple APIs, but it's your your methods that you've written that take a completion handler. How do you convert that into async await without having to rewrite all your code? And so Apple has provided a pretty nice method that just makes that almost trivial. It's this um, method called uh, with checked continuation. And basically mm-hmm. you just, so with, with checked continuation is a uh, marked async function. So so you can just, you can await that. And this thing takes a closure where you put your old method that returns, but that uses a completion handler. And when that completion handler returns, a little bit funky. Then you call this continuation resume, and it will just pick up where the function left and return the return the result back. Or and there's ways to make it throw as well. So it's yeah, it's kind of a cool thing. Um, but yeah, this the gist of this article is 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 not so much about async await itself, but how do you make your old existing right, yeah convert your stuff functions yeah. work with with async await. Yeah. Yeah, I missed that. Somehow I missed the, the, I only mentioned a couple of times in here, the with check continuation function. Cool. Yeah. I mean, the, the key part of it is, is way towards the bottom, uh, right above the conclusion where you can see how nice the calling site looks. And that's the nice yep. thing of going through all this effort. Right. Cool. All right. And then Jaime, you got some stuff. This one, I was, I posted this in here in case you hadn't, for some reason, I thought you hadn't posted it in here, but you have. 
I won't let you rip into it. Yeah, so GitHub came out with its GitHub Copilot. A, uh, what it says here on the tin is your AI pair programmer. And this seems pretty neat. It's apparently powered by uh, OpenAI. And it is kind of like that, um, you know, that, that next step we need towards the Star Trek, the next generation style of, of computing. Right. It's like, computer, I need a table. No, I need it to be, you know, four feet high and five feet wide and, and make it out of wood instead of steel. This is getting scarily close to that, where you you have this thing that is running some uh, some machine learning algorithms on uh, you know what you're writing there. So you write just a little bit of here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to you know do sentiment analysis or uh, parse expenses or how many days are there between dates. And it has already been trained on this large volume of code that's out there. Presumably, a lot of it open source through, uh, you know, hosted on GitHub itself. And yeah, it just sort of fills in like autocomplete on super steroids. You know, that, that's sort of how I, I think of it here. It's like, oh, you want to convert comments in the code? Yeah, it can do that. Oh, you don't want to do repetitive stuff like making all of these different dictionaries? Yeah, we can fill those out too. Um, it's it's pretty impressive to me. It looks um, it looks pretty magical. Um, I, you know, I wonder how well it works in real life i don't know i wonder and is it gonna is it gonna plug into like visual code editor and and things like xcode and stuff like that, stuff like that? so it's starting out uh, so right now it's actually in uh technical preview so not everybody can use this as of this very recording um right now they're focusing on visual studio code uh, but i don't really see reasons why they couldn't make it available elsewhere and will there be a paid version in the uh in the plus lifestyle that we all live nowadays um, if the technical preview is successful, our plan is to build a commercial version in the future. So they want to use the the uh, preview of Copilot to figure out how people use it. So, I mean, it sort of makes sense that you you would have those different options. I think that it's one of those things that makes uh, GitHub stickier. So given that Microsoft is all about, uh, um, you know, Azure services and um, getting their, their stuff everywhere, I would not be surprised to see this available elsewhere, but probably going to get the best experience if you're into that ecosystem. Right. Cool. Yeah, somebody did, at work described it as uh, back overflow in your IDE, right there in your IDE. Yeah, and I've seen some some fair criticisms uh, coming around like you know well you know, this isn't the you know writing the code isn't the the hardest part and, and that's true but i also like my autocomplete i would never ever go back to a world where we didn't right. have autocomplete yeah. right yeah. i mean autocomplete yep. is is making some educated guesses as to what it thinks you're trying to, to put out, which is why we always, you know, appreciate it back in the day, whenever it was that Xcode no longer gave you, you know, NS stream. No, because nobody ever used those <laughs> compared to the, <laughs> the huge volume. Of, you know, there were dozens of us who did, I guess, but the, compared to the overwhelming, you know, millions of people who wanted NS string, think of it this, you know, like being its 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 bigger brother. That's how I think of it. Like I wouldn't right. uh, just close my eyes, write a few comments and then say, oh, my app is ready. Well, no, this isn't that. This is, you know, spare me the, the boilerplate. Spare me yeah. the having to think about like, oh yeah, that's right. I need to, you know, I need to initialize this thing. Totally forgot about that. What I think it's it's kind of like is, is an automated version of in Xcode where they have the code snippets that you can use. Uh, just like, I, I think probably most people don't actually use this and i don't remember having used it more than once or twice but 
But in the same way that you can, in Interface Builder, you can grab items and drop it in. But there's also a thing where you can, there's a whole bunch of like boilerplate code that Xcode will just provide to you that you can just drop in. Did you even know this was there? That's true. Yeah. You guys know? The snippets? Yeah. yeah. But I don't think yeah. I've I've paid attention to how much power is there usually. Yeah. Have, like well, like made well, my own snippets. And you can make your own too, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, there's not a huge amount there of power, right? So, so if, but this is kind of doing that, what you have to do there manually and with a limited set of choices this is automating for you. Uh, so if it actually works, it's actually pretty cool. You know, if you could have it just go off and find these random snippets of code for anything you want to do, uh, it's it's pretty cool. It could be a real time saver. It also runs the risk of people having a lot of code that they don't know how it works that just they throw in uh, into their right. into their code base, which That's the stack happens a lot. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. But it could be cool. With great power comes great responsibility, I suppose. Yeah. So <laughs> right. I kind of wonder, like, you know, based on the fact that it says here in the article, I read it somewhere, that it that it builds on, you know, um, the vast, you know, amounts of open code that's on GitHub. And, yeah. and I kind of wonder, will it will it democratize or will it, you know, sanitize or what's the word I'm looking at, homogenize uh, the code that's out there? Because it's basically looking at the the, the best code of like yeah. a lot of, lot of different people. Well, right? or who says it's the best code, right? It's curve. That's, that's what I mean. If yeah, it's yeah, curve yeah, fitting yeah. to, if there's way more crappy code out there than good code and it's curve fitting to the crap, to, to the whole set, then you're going to get something that's skewed towards the crappy code than the good code, for yeah. sure. Well, here, here's an example, like, and this comes from my print print and publishing experience, and that is the standard, you know, color balance or color gamut that people work towards in, in Photoshop and stuff like that back in the day was SWOP, S-W-O-P. And what that was, and it was sort of like a standard that everybody would kind of target as, you know, the, the standard, you know, standard web offset press is what it stood for. But the reality was they went around, edited all the crappy offset printers in the United States and came up with this, you know, lowest common denominator. That's that's what I mean about, like, are we going to end up with the lowest common denominator of code out there? If, if I mean, not that everybody's going to rely on this thing, but that's potentially... I'm, I'm building on Jaime's crass comment in, in, uh, in our Slack channel that this is kind of like Skynet coding, right? <laughs> Skynet doesn't like the, uh, the data structure you've chosen or whatever it was they said. Yeah, wants, exactly. to use, wants to use a hash table instead of a link list. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Lots of fun. Well, speaking of hash tables, so we were talking uh, at work, and one of the guys did a demo on um, Mark's favorite thing from 2019, which was Diffable Data Source. Yeah, and and I keep meaning to go and watch that video, but anyway, he had this demo the other day, and. Uh, it's very cool that it, it's kind of like uh, it's similar to how Swift UI is doing stuff with with lists and stuff like that. Whereas you want to have a reference to something, you don't use um, index at, uh, index path anymore, right? You use uh, you assign a UID UUID, and then you can update a table, for example, or a, or a collection view just in the in inside the cell without having to reload the entire table, right? Is that the gist of it, Mark? What a difficult data source. Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of a oh, very it's a very that's a small basic small piece of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. I mean, just that alone is pretty cool, right? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the basic idea is that uh, the data source itself keeps track of the state, right? And you can you you use this concept of a snapshot uh, that has a, a different state from your previous previous state however you however you want to make it uh, and then you just tell the data source to apply the state to your to your collection view or table view right and it goes and figures out how it has to change all all the cells and everything so none of this remember there was this batch updates or begin updates if it was perform batches perform yeah, batches yeah, yeah. and, and you inevitably yeah. get it wrong at some point get the count wrong and you the app would crash at some point while you're developing it all that's gone because you just you just have to since it knows the previous state you just have 
to give it a new state and it will automatically do the diff for you. Hence the difficult data source. It will do the diff oh, yeah. right. and figure out all of the updates that it needs to do to make your collection view suddenly conform, use the new data set from the old data set. Right. So like if it, it has to update or, or modify or delete a cell it knows, yep. or content, it, exactly. it knows what to do. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. 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 Cool. Yep. All right. Yeah, cool stuff. In, in line with the, um, the GitHub Copilot thing, I, I view difficult data source as so somebody came up with the algorithm behind that back in like the 70s. And if you remember, longtime listeners to the show remember the IG list kit. So the Instagram folks yep. mm-hmm. said, hey, we've got this problem. We want to make you know this thing really performant and re- reduce uh, crashes and et cetera. And they also discovered this like, you know, dissertation or thesis or something from like the 1970s or something. Say, hey, here's the algorithm you should use. And they implemented it. So good for them. The whole data source is that in the Apple ecosystem of like, Never again shall anybody have to do, figure out how to do this because it's a solved problem. So just adhere to this thing. And I think it's pretty nice because we can move up a, you know, in the stack of like, okay, now what do we need to worry about? We need, we need to worry about how to, how to put badges on these little icons here. <laughs> the hard problem. Well, that's coming. That's coming. Exactly. I think it's coming in your next... Is that, was that your clever segue, Pame? I don't know if it's clever. I wouldn't make that claim, but uh, <laughs> it was a segue <laughs> into All right. this next article from uh, fivestars.blog about what's new in SwiftUI. It's not necessarily comprehensive, but it, it shows some of the interesting things. And uh, there's certainly nice things. I think we've talked about in, in the previous episode about the new button style. So getting a chance to see what that looks like is, is kind of cool. Uh, the interface orientation for SwiftUI previews is is great. Just continuing that, yeah. that whole idea of like, look, just show me every possible combination I might have for this item so I can see while I'm typing it up and coding it, uh, what it looks like. And I noticed the badges thing, but I thought, oh, that's so great because everybody wants to add badges to their, you know, their tab bars or lists and et cetera. And I don't know uh, that, uh, you know, the next new hotness will be based off of this, but at least from a basic utility, I mean, just dot badge, the number one. Great. You've got a badge with one. Yeah. And it apparently, which gave me the oohs and ahs, like, oh, it even works on lists too. And it'll do the right thing in a list. So that's pretty neat. I like that stuff. Good, uh, good quality of life uh, sort of thing for developers. Yeah. New new toggles coming as well. Easier ways to call colors out. Um, yeah. Different ways to to style buttons. Yeah, this fits in the same category of what we're talking about about the you know, the data format. The date formatters are now gone. Right, they're they've been right. replaced yeah. by just a method on date, which is you know just a quality of life improvement for developers, as you said. Yeah, yeah. and like dismissing views and stuff like that is now is now a simple you know almost like an enum, enum value right under our environment. It was, uh, was this the article that talked about, maybe it was the one previous to that, um, where we had the new property wrapper, like la- last time, last WWC, we got the new property wrappers, like the app state, what was that called? This is in dark mode now, so it doesn't look familiar to me. Um, yeah, so yeah, the property wrappers, um, with r- uh, optional raw representable, right? Representable? Um, we had the app storage and the scene storage stuff that was added last year, and, uh, now we have this raw representable thing. Can you guys explain that? So it's like near the bottom of the article. Yeah, the way I understand it is that you can have an option so property wrappers have an optional can be associated with an optional raw representable type which would make it that you can have like an enum that doesn't have a default value i don't know it says here in this example the picker will have no value selected at launch so the picker has a, a picker from uh, an enum of uh 
cases of banana, orange, mango, and you don't have to have any default. Or oh, vaguely right. thinking okay. of like, okay, and default equals one, or default equals banana, similar type things. Okay, yeah, I think I follow you. Hmm. All right, move on. Uh, another Good. one of those quality of life ones, uh, also from the WWDC by Sundell and Friends, this time actually written by John Sundell, um, SwiftUI's async image, or uh, rendering remote mm-hmm. images from URLs, which is one of those things that you will very commonly see people get um, third-party software for, right? In, mm-hmm. in the old Objective-C days, it would have been SD Web image. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. Swift has a few different options, like Kingfisher. Now you can just go rip those right out, assuming you're, you know, in a in a newer compatibility land for iOS, and you have an async image, which does pretty much what those did. Here's my URL. Go retrieve it for me asynchronously, and when you're done, display it. Um, and it is really cool that it does give you the power to have the uh, different phases. So you can decide, you know, what you want to do when maybe this thing might take a while to load. All right, cool. Well, I can define some, you know, progress view or spinner or something. What happens when it's a failure? You know, sometimes you want to show something by default. And of course, when it's successful, what do you want to do? You've got books to uh, to choose. Like, well, we're maybe going to change the aspect ratio or, I don't know, put a, a, an Instagram filter on it or something. Right. It's up to you. But They're it's kind of nice to see this baked in the platform. Too easy. So <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's go over that statement of like, wait, wait, why why would we want it to be difficult? Is well, you wouldn't want it to be difficult. But, but uh, you know, it's kind of a rite of passage to get your app working the right way and working through those subtle little bugs because you missed one tiny little thing like the classic one was with the table view with the with the uh, asynchronously loaded images and reusable cells uh where mm-hmm. your old cell would would uh, be recycled before the asynchronous call came back and suddenly your the wrong image would show up in your cell right remember that classic bug that every, yeah, every everyone had to figure that out at some point but now nobody has to figure that stuff out anymore <laughs> it's too easy <laughs> i think the rights yeah. of passages uh, change over time and you're right you know with difficult data source and async image i'd have a hard time imagining what it'd be like to to create a bug in this case right um, right but I, I don't know that i want to go as far as saying you know back in my day yeah occasionally our product kept our product list would show the wrong images and we liked it that way right <laughs> i was gonna say back in my day you had to connect your data source and delegate to the table view view controller instead of just dragging it out of the library and having it already connected <laughs> It's true. It's back true. in my day. Yes, I remember back in my day, we had to, you know, actually count the number of references and, you know, rem- and remove them as we needed, as we, as we popped them off. Yeah, yeah. I came in right at the tail end of that. So we said earlier that uh, 2011, first iPhone for me was the iPhone 4S. They came on, on board during the summer. I think WWDC had, had already occurred as I didn't, you know, attend or anything, uh, but I was able to make use of the resources and resources around that time had... MRC, uh, manual account stuff, and the newer stuff from WWDC had the ARC stuff. And so I always thought it was a a little silly when I had these books, these physical paper books, mind you. They were like, so why do I have to do this retain thing and then this release thing? Like, it just seems like it's cluttering up my code. What, what yeah. does this do? Well, you know, I will never argue that that arc was a bad thing. It was a huge step forward, huge positive thing. But it was the beginning, looking back at history, it was the beginning of the commoditization of iOS development that yeah. we've talked about yeah. on the show a lot. Before, yeah. before arc, iOS development was kind of hard because you had to understand all that memory management and it was easy to get it wrong. Uh, and you didn't really understand what you were doing. You're App would be crashing constantly uh, or have memory leaks for no end. 
Uh, and so a real sign of someone who actually kind of knew what they were doing was whether they understood the memory model. But with ARC, that kind of went away. You know, it's funny, I, this pro tip for you if you ever get an interview with me, but if, one of the questions I ask young, young developers all the time is, how does memory management work in Swift? And a lot of them are like, uh, ARC? And then like a pause. <laughs> they don't even know what ARC stands for, mm-hmm. you know? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's, it's you're right, it's a, it's a tricky thing, but, you know. Well, and, and it's do, do you need to know it? I mean, that's the other, the other issue. I mean, right. Like the whole idea behind this async image is, is we all know, like you could call for an image in a URL and it may not be there or it may, you know, return, it may come back busted or something or partial, you know, um, like you said, we had to deal with that, those cases, right? Mm-hmm. But no, it's like, are we are we homogenizing and simplifying too much? Or are we doing it in such a way that you can go on to bigger problems, right? Perhaps. Yeah, that's the approach I take to it. So I, I want to see even more in this area. Like, okay, so what we really need to just be dead simple so that anybody off, you know, off the street, uh, to Mark's point, can, can do iOS development is like, I just want, you know, lists, basically old school table view stuff. I want lists that are smart about prefetching their content so it's ready when we want it. They're grabbing their resources asynchronously, but even further than that, being intelligent to realize, hey, you know what? The user just scrolled from the zeroth item to the hundredth item. We can go ahead and cancel or pause or delay in some other case the uh you know zero to 99 let's go ahead and start fetching the 100th and the you know through the 110th element or reprioritize them or etc so that we don't have to spend time you know tinkering with and messing around with that and we can build the other parts of the app that we really want to do you know not the uh not the parts that's that's sort of you know necessary but not sufficient to have a good quality app True. but you know i you know mark i think something you said there made me think about um, some of the early days of iOS development where I think that you're quite right. People who really understood who, how um, that manual reference counting worked were really the ones who created those high quality polished apps in the early days of the store. And they were pretty unique because I think by and large, most of those people had come from the Mac, from the Mac world. development yeah. world, right? So yeah. they had this enormous entrenched advantage over everybody else who was like stumbling to get learn, you know, learn what's going on. Like, what the heck? <laughs> what's this it, retain yeah, release it, thing? It's, it's kind of funny. They went from just within a year, they went from being considered like the, the biggest outcast in the software development world, right? People right, who are still yeah, developing yeah. an Objective C for the Mac were just really considered like out there and just old school and dinosaurs. Uh, within a space of a year, those people went from that to being super in demand and, you know, able to write an app that could make them a million bucks overnight. Amazing. Yeah. 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 Speaking of making a million bucks overnight, I mean, no, that is a good segue. That's a good mm. quality segue right there <laughs> to our, our next article here. Uh, we'll have in the show notes for those of you uh, driving at home. Uh, this is from App Figures. It is entitled, What's New in iOS 15 for App Store Optimization? And I think this is really good to show it. So Apple, I think, sort of breezed. Again, I've not watched the session myself. But at least in the keynote and the or maybe the platform state of union, I feel like they really breezed past this uh, part, given how much content is here. So I appreciated seeing some of the options but like, OK, in-app events in search results. Uh, more stuff about search results. The uh, the App Store widget, like, let's be honest, that's not a winner to me. <laughs> I'm going right past the one. Custom product pages is one that, that really stuck out to me that you can have up to 35 of these. So I think that's a, a very uh, well-selected number because when it comes to major sports leagues, 
you tend to have around 30 to 32 teams. So you could have, individ- you know, I could have like a Seattle Mariners or Seattle Kraken, uh, you know, themed app page, uh, you know, trying to invite local folks and the AB testing with product page optimization. I think these are the, the big winners for folks when it comes to this feature. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, no, uh, no shade thrown on the folks who are, you know, big enough to have like in-app events that people might actually really be serious about thinking you know, like Pokemon Go and stuff. But this is for, uh, this is for the normal folks, right? The casual folks, right. indie folks yep. who are, you know, pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps, custom product pages and AB testing. These are things you can actually do and probably see some, uh, some benefit from. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, like I think, I think trying to get your yourself get your app recognized on the app store is is a huge task right i mean like like i i, I don't know if it's still true but like when i i'm sure when mark was first publishing apps you know you got the immediate spike on day one kind of deal and then yep. it kind of fizzled down to like nothing and then it just kind of cruises along right um and becomes pizza money right um but yeah i mean a b testing is something that, you know we've been doing on the web for for millennia it seems um you know having two different and then trying to see you know out of the two styles which one seems to have more traction than the other right um this is kind of an interesting I don't, i'm just i'm curious about this widget thing that you skipped over though Jaime. is that about getting featured or, or is that something you can actually supply to apple and then they'll pick it up right get featured in the app store lots of visibility. i mean so there is a a new app store widget right that, that will show featured items so i guess if you're fortunate enough to get featured oh I, are you saying oh yeah this is this is something that would appear on your on your, your desktop on your your ipad or yeah which i mean okay gotcha. i'm sure there's people who who you know enjoy and this sort of thing i i personally will not go out of my way and say, hey, what if I had the, yeah. again, no shade towards the editorial folks over at, at uh, Apple. They do some cool stuff when I go into the app yep. store from time to time, but I just, I just don't know that I would have a widget to to highlight this as part of my day. You mean, oh, you mean have it on your your phone yourself? Like, Yeah, it's for other people, not me. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't but install I that many categories in like that you're interested in like kid games or something like that. Like that's the, the big challenge for us is like finding something that that's suitable for a six year old kid. Right. Um, I feel like the answer way. for that particular use case is plunking down the money for uh, Apple Arcade and say, here, go, go try all of these. <laughs> There's hundreds of them. <laughs> Well, no, there is me alone I mean, if you've tried every single one of them. Hang on, whoa, 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 back, back up, because because I can tell you, I have Apple Arcade, and there is not a lot of apps for young children in Apple Arcade. Oh, okay, so I, I yeah, I stand corrected. I, I just assumed you that do. was. One of the big things for them is that it doesn't have to be the you would uh, think, you know, right? Kill, you would kill think. Zone four, five, seven. Uh, well, app. see, I don't know. I don't know what the criteria. To be personally, I don't know what the criteria to get uh, an app into App Arcade is about. I mean, like, I don't know. Have we talked about that before. I don't know that. That what do you have to do to get your app into that sort of that world, right? So I, I thought it was like a almost like an elite club of people who who have the inside edge on how to get in there, right? Or does it have to? Does a game have to be built in a certain way or have traction, right? Like like some publishers I know that that have been picked up and have arcade apps also have very successful games, for example, in the regular iOS app, right? Yeah, I think it was more akin to the publisher studio kind of model where I don't think you can submit your app necessarily to uh, to be included in Apple Arcade. I think it's more like, don't call us, we'll call you. Apple would notice you and say, hey, we sure would love for you to be an arcade can you make this right. game right. exclusively for us or can you take this existing game that has good ideas and just remove all the IAP and uh, you know make it a part of arcade I think that's how it works I don't like well, I can tell you like like it could be but I can talk about this a bit too and I think Mark can too is that you know like the whole idea of getting featured on the app store I've been featured on the app store for a number of apps like one of my one of, Geek squad was was featured once you know um, 
the Strombo app was featured once. Um, some of our two life ones were featured. And we used to talk to Apple here in Canada anyway about how to get featured. And they would say, you know, like they're always looking for people who are utilizing the latest, you know, frameworks and, and tools that they give us. Right. So, you know, don't expect to get featured if your app hasn't been updated in three years or kind of thing. And, and you know, make sure you use all the new stuff that that or try to use the new stuff that Apple introduces every year at, at WWDC and, and, you know, the, the various events, right? Um, you know, like, you know, we've had the large type thing. Now we have dark mode. Now we have accessibility, a big push in accessibility this year. Those are the kind of things that Apple's going to pay attention to, as well as, of course, you know, you've got a cool app. I mean, G-Squad was, was featured in Canada for a, a while because it had a very Canadian, this Canadian sort of theme to it right um i mean it was kind of a janky app and but but still apple picked it up and somebody somebody in the app store saw it and you know decided to feature it which was great you know um but what mark i know you, your your music apps have been uh, yeah featured a on. number of my apps were featured actually uh in the early days i have to say it was it was relatively easy to get featured uh because there wasn't as much out there and there was a lot of junk out there <laughs> right, <laughs> no offense right. to anyone who published something back then but uh but so in the early days, um, it seemed like if you had something that was a little bit niche and so a little bit out, you know out of the ordinary, and it was a quality, at least a decent app, there's a pretty good chance of getting featured in your category, which which wasn't too hard. It was it was actually quite hard to get featured on a on a full app store level. Uh, in other words. There was the like the front page of the app store at the time. Uh, there were there was this there was this one category of the real featured apps where you would Apple would come to you and get extra artwork and they feature you on the feature you on the front page. That was quite difficult to do, but to be featured as a category in a category actually was not that hard. So right, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, a bunch of my apps did that. I was only on the on the front page of the app store once. Uh, that was with my Look Again app um, and. Interestingly enough, uh, I'm not sure whether it was chicken or the egg, but but we got some really good press. Actually, that was how we met originally, Tim. Uh, yeah. Ironically, yeah. This this exact uh, we had a we had we had been putting out apps and had gotten you know some good features and some good you know good press just random randomly not so randomly we would submit to review sites. Uh, so when it came out with this app, we kind of did a, a pre-meeting at MacWorld with one of the more well-known bloggers at the time, app bloggers. Uh, and he liked the app, so he wrote about it before it was ever released. Uh, and then when it finally was released, we got a nice big bump, and Apple put us on the front page of the App Store, which was nice, which was yeah. fantastic. Uh, I, like I said, I don't know whether it was just like Apple liked the app too, or were they reading the same blog? <laughs> Probably they were just reading the same blog, and that's how they maybe, found out about maybe. it. Uh, yeah, but there was one one thing that was actually extra nice was uh, they they had these every year they'd have these cate- different categories uh, outside of the you know just the regular app categories they would have like special lists of things and they would have every year they'd have a best back to school apps. Uh, so for three years in a row, uh, one of my apps on um, sorry scales and modes, which was my music theory app, was featured as a best back to school app in the music category. That was nice for you know three years in a row. So even though it, yeah. was, it wasn't a new app by the time by the third year, it was still in there. After the third year, it was kind of getting kind of long in the tooth, and, and so it, it never happened. Yeah, but it had that. a un- unique style to it. I mean, because I don't people weren't really talking about scales and modes that much, you know. Right. You know now now we've got Rick B. Auto on YouTube talking about it all the time, but <laughs> yeah. You know, yep, yep, yeah. So, yeah, like I said, back then, if you if you were a little bit unusual, a little bit out of the ordinary, and a decent app, then yeah, you had a pretty good chance of getting featured in your category. Yeah, like we did, we did an app on about. So we had an app for couples. Is what the gist of our our first magazine app was, and and uh, so when Will and Kate, you know, Middleton got married, 
um, we got featured in the UK and in Canada. We couldn't crack the US app store mm. in terms of getting featured, but, but because there were apps, you know, covering, covering the Royal Wedding at the time. But, uh, but yeah, we, we, like I said, we, I think we've got, we were on the news and stuff like that. And, you know, I think, you know, I was, I, ironically, the day they came in to, um, to film us for, for CTV news here in Toronto about having built this app, I, I was in, I was asked to come into the studio and sit there and, you know, look, look like a developer and whatever doing my thing ironically at the moment when the cameras came through the wwdc tickets went on sale uh-huh. and so so there i if you you know i was actually buying my ticket for wwdc while this was happening so mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of funny i wasn't really worried i was i was working as a developer right so <laughs> there you go yeah anyway yeah cool any, any more on that one there Jaime? no i think that's that's good coverage we've nailed it all right cool so let's move on to our picks okay so my pick is wwdc 21 lounges so if you remember back at wwc they had these things called lounges uh which were basically online chat areas where you could ask questions of apple developers and hopefully get an answer uh and they they were really supposed to be kind of a transient thing they were just kind of as it happened at wwc but a couple of enterprise folks uh i guess scraped all of the content while it was still up and have now put it up on github so it's still available to be perused at your leisure and i haven't really dug in too deeply yet but it looks like there's some interesting stuff here there's a swift ui lounge qas and an accessibility lounge qas and a dev tools lounge qas so could be some interesting stuff in there yeah, Leo was talking about. I think he he attended or tried to attend the the playground one because we were talking about you know, the, the what was it the Xcode playground? What was the thing we talked about? Oh, oh, iPad playground where you could switch playground on the iPad. That's what it was. Where you, in future you'll be able to code right on the iPad, right? Mm-hmm. Create apps and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the team was 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 there that one. I think the night we were recording, Leo was talking about that. Mm-hmm. Cool. So that's my pick. Yeah, I, I, it's unfortunate that they um, they didn't make that just part of the history. I I can imagine they probably are reasons why to just you know this is dipping their toes in the water and limiting risk and etc but uh, you know nature finds a way and clearly has here where people thought about that and said well let me just you know sometimes this stuff is the best reference uh stuff from wwc even as the uh, the docs continue to improve and etc but sometimes like look i i know they talked about this thing where was it and like having uh, non-ephemeral and also searchable ways of finding hey i know they they talked about something related to swift ui you know right like, like when should i use this environment object or not oh okay there you go i, I see the answer now that's very helpful I, I like this sort of thing yeah i'm just looking at my slack app is, is are the channels gone on? Do you know? I was under the impression that they were. Yeah, they seem to be completely... It's funny, they seem to have just disappeared off my app. Oh, wait, no, here's one. WWC21. Yeah, interesting. Just disappeared. That's uh, that's um, app management on the fly. Cool. All right, so what do you got first for a pick coming? Yeah, um, mine is for people like me. So if you have only seen a handful, if that, of session videos from WWDC, and you're thinking, how should I even approach this now? Uh, I guess, you know, while you're live during the, the week of WWDC, it's kind of natural to watch per day, right? Here's Monday. Let's watch Monday's content. Whatever I feel is is interesting. Tuesday, same thing. Thursday, you get the idea. But once the entire set of content is out there and available, it could be pretty overwhelming to say, oh, I, I don't know that I have time to watch all of them. What should I watch? And uh, userloaf.com here has come up with this viewing guide and 
very helpfully. Not only gives the links to things in nice categories like Swift, Swift UI, iPadOS, WatchOS, but also gives a little bit of explanation in my mind in some uh, uh, plain language of like, this is what this thing is, right? This is why you should care, which the I think Coles is... notes, right? What's that? Or Cliff Notes, I guess. Cliff Notes. Yeah, it's like, that's a good... Do people still use those anymore? Do they still sell those? That This is this is, this is pre-internet, kids. <laughs> Back in my day, you couldn't just watch a 10-minute YouTube video to see, you know, what you should put in your book report. Um <laughs> or or uh or or watch the the movie version of some you know shakespeare play no you you actually had to read the book or the play or you'd go get the cliff's notes version that barnes and nobles or borders or something and it would give you the basic gist right the tldr too long didn't read quite literally uh you know what is this about and i, I like this this idea tim the, the cliff notes version of what was the wdc covered and handy links freaky said oh you know i really do want to know what's this x cloud thing let me go take a look at this this sets of views and there's three of them so easy to find yeah for sure i mean i was, I was gonna su- suggest we go through and, and look at our developer apps and see what what show what uh videos we watched but i i ended up watching a ton of them and and some that weren't on my book, uh, like, you know, I'd watch a video and then, or I'd see something on Twitter about somebody would say something about, oh, you got to go check this one out. Or, or even on this show, I mean, Mark mentioned a couple of, couple on the last episode, I went back and watched them again. Right. So like Doxy, I completely missed what Doxy was about until I went back and, and watched a few of the videos. That looks pretty cool. But um, yeah. And, and uh, like the, the, the one I was interested in was the Mac building Mac fundamentals. Um, I started working on it and I couldn't figure out why the code wouldn't compile. And then I realized, oh yeah, you need to have, you know, Monterey loaded up and you need to have iOS 13 loaded up because it's a Mac app. Duh. Um, so I did actually, I ended up putting Monterey on my Mac, but I haven't really gone back to it since I, since I did that. But yeah, this is, it's kind of cool because like, yeah, it says here, like, you know, two part code long on building a Mac using SwiftUI makes it familiar ground for iOS developers. Right. So, um, that's the gist of what these two sessions are about. And it kind of, I think the developer app kind of explains what each one is as well, but yeah, this is sort of, and it's sort of clumped them into categories. If I'm not mistaken. I think the developer app does actually do them in cal- in groups too. Yeah. Like down the side, there's like, they've got like essentials and then they've prototyping, for instance, they've got in here and they, and they don't just include 2021. They also include 20, 2019, 2018, 2017 as well. So the kudos to the Mac developer app for that too. But yeah, this is, this is a um, cool, uh, cool little cheat note thing here for sure how about you mark anything stand out that you uh besides app kit for about this site this or it, in general wwdc in general oh well we talked about this a lot um already so i haven't really done too much beyond what my watching in the first couple of weeks mm-hmm. uh since then uh but uh i am definitely i definitely thought some of the ipad stuff was pretty cool although there wasn't a huge amount of it uh obviously the the swifty on the async await stuff was pretty amazing um looking forward to xcode cloud although that could be a long time away i suspect it will be a long time away for me but um yeah sorry don't have a lot of new input yeah i'm just looking through my list here on on uh, my list of bookmarks and the ones that i have watched I said, I wonder if this is all everything I've watched. Like, t- I did watch a ton of them, but you know, it's kind of like you got to take a rest and come back to it later, right? Because <laughs> unless you use it, you don't really. Uh, I find you can't really uh, get into it too much. I, I watched a lot of the stuff on on um, in later things, later shows. Oh, this is 2020. I mean, I was looking at what what's new in Objective C. I'm like, what? <laughs> That's from 2020. All right. Anywho, okay. So my pick. Uh, we were talking about uh, Swift Packer Manager at work today, and uh, friend, my friend Eric pointed out that he's been he's been building some tools for us at the, at work looking forward to using swift patch swift package manager in our in our coding and this is 
I think this site, and I've, I've linked to the blog here, but the actual basic site, um, it's kind of, it reminds me a bit of, of um, uh, CocoaPod's site, right? Because it's basically got a listing of recently added um, Swift packages, like open source Swift packages. Oh, here's Balmo. I know the, the author of Balmo. He, he spoke at NS North a few years ago. Um, like Markdown Kit is one, for example, or Google App Measurement is another one that's just recently been released. And it's basically a search engine. You can type in what you're looking for, and uh, and it'll show whether or not there's a Swift package that matches what you're looking for. And if you if you click on any one of them or find one, it tells you kind of sort of what it does. Like here, Balmo. Um, Balmo was a, was a pick on our show once, and and a beautiful. Easily attributed strings in Swift is is the description here, and then it shows you know below it um, you know the compatibility with versions of Swift it works with in this case five point four or five point three. It also works on iOS, macOS, macOS ARM, and Intel as well as tvOS. Um, and then it shows the current version, and then also a description of what it does, and and so there's like sort of a but like a readme kind of style page where, you know, explains how to use it and that kind of stuff. So I just, like I said, this reminds me very much of the CocoaPods, main CocoaPods site. I don't know if you guys have ever gone over there to look for something. Um, but yeah, it gives you the link to the actual package and away you go. So it's kind of cool that you can uh, search for stuff inside of Swift Package Manager as it, as it becomes more, you know, I think it's, I think Swift Package Manager has arrived. I don't know if you guys agree or not. What do you think? Seems like it, yes. Apple's definitely pushing it with the with the integration into Xcode Cloud, Xcode Cloud and uh, uh, Playground thing. Playgrounds. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Comment, Tommy? Yeah, I think just, I think it's similar to Swift and Swift UI and, and other things where there's is just sort of that tipping point, right? And, and Apple really helps when it does things like, oh yeah, like you can use Swift Package Manager for um, the Swift Playgrounds on the Mac, but not like CocoaPods, right? So it's similar to, oh, you can, uh, what, what was Swift UI only first? Whatever the first thing was, I don't even remember anymore because Swift UI just seems like it's just like a natural part of, yeah, you know, when you're doing stuff, you're, you're going to want to do Swift UI. Um, certainly if you're going to build a, a totally brand new app, you don't have to worry about backwards compatibility. By the time you, you work through the the, you know the details of what you want to do with your app you know we're coming up on september pretty soon here in just a couple months so yeah sure. is it worth you know trying to go back to ios 10 or some other nutty thing probably not you know, <laughs> i mean if you you got billions of users like a instagram or a facebook or twitter i mean sure right because the, the cost is 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 different but you know i do think that things like like this are, are helpful especially as it all starts to come together right like Right now, you probably could find the thing you wanted, you know, in CocoaPods, not necessarily find it in Swift Package Manager. That's true becomes increasingly less true as time goes on, as more people start sort of seeing where 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 the puck is going, right? And say, oh, should I do this new project or this updated version of a project in CocoaPods? Eh, maybe not. I have to switch over to Package Manager. We're going to make it available there. And then it just becomes this, this flywheel effect, right? Where now the next project is like, oh yeah, we should just do Swift Package Manager. Oh yeah, they're doing, we should, right? And it just goes on and on. So um, I, I think it's, it's certainly come of age in terms of, it's not a silly, uh, uh, side gig sort of thing anymore for folks it's like oh no no we're, we're legitimately using this this is a, a big part of how we're going to build apps um, yeah and i didn't talk about the fact that that there you can rate like there are ratings here like there's like bomb mom's got like 3600 stars so I don't know what the, the scale of that is, but at least, you know, you've got 3,600 other people who've used this. But coming back to the uh, in back in my day kind of comment, um, 
I notice here that it says indexing 30, over 3,800 packages, and uh, which represents over 59,000 versions. I remember looking at the internet, looking something up on the internet, and it said like, you know, there's like, I can't remember if it was like a million pages it was being in, indexed back in the 90s, you know, so... I remember looking at the internet going, oh, look at all those pages there and sunny. <laughs> but, uh, you know, now, of course, there's billions of pages, right? So it's kind of like to mark this moment in time, this is June 30th, 2021. There are 3,800 packages listed on this Swift package index. So I have to keep that as a marker, right? Six years from now, when we're talking about it, we can look back in this episode. <laughs> back in my day. Alrighty. Oh, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, how many people want to get in touch with you? Where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right, Mark, people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at Snapsoft.com. All right. And once again, my name is Tim Mitra. It still is Tim Mitra. Tim Mitra. T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. And so until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. 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 This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fireside.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends, leave a comment on the website, or write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so use the hashtag AskMTJC and we may mention you on the show. Friends of the show can also join us on the podcast Slack channel. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Every dollar pledged helps a lot. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. What I was saying, I think I've told you this sort of story before, but I have this 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 situation on my Mac where I plug I have like a it's a it's one of these hub things with two USBs on the one side and I leave my microphone and PA and everything plugged in and my keyboard and my and my um my you know uh, what do you call it? display port monitor and all that kind of stuff. So so when I grab this and go over to the couch, I just quickly unplug it and go, right? And sit down. And when I come back, it never, well, sorry, not ever. It rarely remembers my audio settings, right? So when I come back and I sit down and I turn on my, my USB mic, um, like just now, the master volume was like right down to nothing. And then the playback volume in my head was like turned up to like 11, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's like, what? So I often I sit down at the computer and, I, and it's usually one speaker this today it was both speakers in stereo which is like new so uh, is that an improvement i don't know but uh yeah it's just it's just weird every time i sit down at the computer and, and plug my audio stuff in i have to make sure i do it well in advance and and check the audio settings i think i think i talked about this before right, that i have to go in and do like uh write an apple script or something to to have it just push push a button and have it set up all the stuff i'm, I'm sure this is this app is scriptable this is one from apple right push the button hmm? never mind obscure reference push the button mm-hmm. i didn't get it either so you're okay tim we <laughs> Gal- got we got galvanized, galvanized by the chemical brothers no sorry you i'm might, aware of well, the chemical I, brothers i don't know their it. songs too you well. might know it if you heard i it. might probably but the only only chemical brothers i know off the top of my head is the theme from the the lost in space movie that they made the really bad one i mean you know unless you're a lost in space fan like i am and then they're all good right <laughs> anyway
So how you been? Good. Both of you. Either one. Okay. Okay. How's the temperature there, Jaime? It is nicer. It is uh, down in the 70s today, mm. which is good because over the weekend and Monday being the worst uh, part of this mm. week was uh, in the hundreds. Just yeah. unusual here. I think it was record breaking. Yeah. We had some high 90s. I don't think it ever broke 100 here, but it was, yeah, high 90s, pretty pretty nasty. So it kind of broke records in Vancouver. Like they're talking about a Canadian heat dome or something like that. Or did, is that the kind of craziness? Like it was 40 something, 44 which Celsius, which is like, I don't know, $50 Canadian or American. Um, let's get the PCALP app out and figure this out. 111 Fahrenheit if it was 44 it? Celsius. Wow. That's yeah. Hot. yeah. Yeah. What did, what did you have in Seattle though? Because I mean, you're not that far, right? I then? don't recall what the actual value was. I think it was around 109, 110. I, I don't know. I'd have to look well, to see what, what the record was. But the whole heat dome you're talking about hit the entire Pacific Northwest from Vancouver and British right. Columbia through Seattle down to Portland, Oregon. Everybody was suffering. Yeah, I didn't think it was an exclusive thing, but yeah. And it's not no, no, and I mean, it's but not it's hard driving. to tell. No, not at all. It was humid. Fifty some percent Ugh. humidity, dew point probably in the sixties. Wow. Yeah. It was Wow we wow wow. Right. Do you have AC at your house? We don't have AC. Um, I don't even really have good space for like a little unit. So we're mostly yeah. dealing with other methods. Um, our area was okay. We've got some trees around us, so it, it helped. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's concrete jungle areas that people were definitely suffering real, real hard. They had um, the libraries kept open for extended hours so people could be there, be cool in the air conditioner. There were uh, cooling uh, places that had opened up. It's like just like big warehouses with air conditioner. And it's kind of a, a full, full community job to keep people doing okay can you imagine if it was last year when we were still in full lockdown that would have been awful yeah yeah because at least people could get out and go to places like you know we have very cold waters here um so going to the beaches is helpful in that case mm-hmm. still dangerous because your body gets shocked going from you know <laughs> like 100 to 45 degrees but uh, at least it's plausible to do something about it yeah bookmarks so I'm curious about one thing, is I had seen some Canadians say that uh, Canadian houses, to, to no one's surprise, are built to contain heat at all costs, right? Which sort of makes sense, because it's 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 cold. It depends on where you live, right? Like, Vancouver's not quite that, that, that way, but Vancouver's a lot of wood construction, whereas Ontario, Quebec, and places like that are, yeah, they're generally made of um, brick and stone and, you know, insulated and whatever. Yeah, but I'm guessing, doesn't the insulation work both ways, though? Like, if you can get your house cool, which is maybe the biggest problem, if you can get it cool, won't it tend to stay cool because of that insulation? Yes. 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 Okay. I mean, that said, I mean, I live in a house that's a hundred and more, more than 110 years old. Yeah, let's say 110 for argument's sake. Um, and, uh, like it's surprisingly not insulated considering like, you know, it's like, it's a couple of layers of brick, which are not really that thermally, you know, or, or we have R ratings. I don't know if you guys use those in the States, but, um, and then, you know, like plaster and lath, which again is like not really uh, heavily insulated. Right. So as we, as we retrofit these, these houses, we put in lots of, you know, fiberglass or mineral wool insulation and, and, you know, vapor barrier to them to keep the moisture in and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, so as we've gone through, like I, the house I live in now, we have we only have windows on the on the east and west side. There's not because I'm you know 
a very thin, long house. And so when it gets cold, it tends to stay cold. When it gets hot, it tends to stay hot, right? So, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the whole trick to air conditioning in our environment, probably in Mark's too, is the first thing you have to do is keep the, it always cool the room. And then it starts to, to feel cool, right? So you can't like just turn on air conditioning and have it air con- and cool your house. And the same thing with heat. I think you have to sort of heat, heat the wood and the surfaces and whatever to be able to return. Heat, heat, heat air, forced air heat seems to feel better than, than air conditioning does when it first kicks in. Like I can tell you right now, our house is like, we're like 50, 60% humidity in the house, even though we've been running air conditioning for the last, you know, three, four days, right? But yeah. What's it like in, in where you are, Mark? You obviously have um, air conditioning, right? Yeah, I've got, I've got air conditioning. Although, you know, when it's 100 degrees, it, it kind of can't keep up. Unfortunately, it's not that good. Maybe I just need to get it, uh, get the get the, the coolant recharge or something like that. But but uh, we had a few hot days that were, like I said, high 90s that were kind of nasty and, and humid. But it's cooled off quite a bit. It's probably been in the 70s this week. It's not bad. Not bad. Yeah. 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 We've been up and down. I mean, like, it's supposed to go down to 17 degrees tonight, like which is relatively cool compared to you know, that's like a cool night in San Francisco kind of thing, right? So it's like 19 degrees Celsius is sort of com- is what California or um, San Francisco usually is like 68, 70 degrees, I guess. You know. Well, San Francisco is usually a little bit colder than that. Uh, <laughs> everywhere else yeah. outside of San Francisco is is like that. Yeah. Uh, well, I know, like Sacramento, it's like like blazing hot stuff. Yeah. Like that, but, yeah. yeah. San Jose gets kind of hot too because we're kind of in a valley. Uh, mm, you know, where right. there's mountains up between us and the in the ocean, and then there's and there's um, another set of mountains on the inside of the bay, and and so you know the heat gets kind of gets trapped in between the mountains. It can get right. it can get pretty hot here. Mm. Yeah, just using pcalc here to calculate temperature uh 90 degrees is 66 fahrenheit so roughly give or take give or take a degree point or whatever mm-hmm. there we go another one in the can hopefully it all recorded properly everything too <laughs> so it's interesting i could hear some crackling in like in during the show remember i, I said sometimes i hear static in my own recording i wonder mm-hmm. if i wonder if that was what i was hearing and what so being i've what? found that that is usually caused on zoom when you do something do something very memory intensive like running the simulator yeah it causes well we that. talked about that core audio d demon yeah. bug right yeah i never tried that as a fix did you ever try it did it work yeah oh yeah yeah definitely well so sometimes when i'm when i'm listening to audio like youtube or whatever or watching a wwc video it'll actually be very crackly audio mm. so yeah i've gone in and and, and uh, forced that to quit because it does seem to be running but you're right I, I quit just before the show oh simulator is running damn it <laughs> whoops well that's gonna be fun to edit <laughs> yeah i've i've had uh, i've had that before let me see this activity viewers how we found it right i quit like i said i quit xcode i just assumed i guess that, uh, that uh, simulator would quit as well oh well core audio oh look at all the core audio demons running crap <laughs> wow it's a lot of them yeah fifty three thousand fifty three hours on my on my uh oh man oh well <laughs> That was fun. Yeah, 53 hours of CPU time has been running. Crazy. Oh, wait, just quit, but it didn't quit the app. It quit the activity viewer. All the more reason to hate stupid core audio thing. Core audio D. How do I get you to quit? Double click you. Yeah, wait. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, can you hear us? You guys are, are you guys on Big Sur? Are you on Big Sur? I would hope by now. Yeah. I believe I am. I don't think I'm on the latest. Uh, so I've, I've been having a thing on through. Big Sur where the finder will crash. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. And yeah, so other apps continue running, but the finder itself crashes and there's nothing you can do except restart your machine. You really? Back. Oh, I've not had that yeah. before. I've had it. So anytime you, you click on the finder, you get a beach ball. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You try to go to force quit, you get a beach ball. Really? Because <laughs> it's part of the finder. Huh. Yep. Wow. Yeah. I, I've had more problems with Big Sur mm. than I've ever had with a Mac OS ever. 
Are you on your M1 or on the M1? Really? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, you don't have yep. any choice, do you? Nope. Nope. Huh. I've I've had Finder crashes and stuff like that, you know, for a while too as well. Yeah. Hmm. I was having that problem where where the uh, the mouse would just stop. Yeah. Responding to clicks. Yeah. Right. Same. Yeah. I've had I have problems where I can't I can never just restart my machine because it just hangs and I have to physically use the button mm-hmm. power down button to restart it pretty much every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's bad. You know, I haven't had those issues, but I'm also still running on an Intel. You're running on the... Yeah, although I have... The M1. Online, I've seen people reporting the same issues on Intel machines. So, uh, I don't know. It may be hardware dependent. Hmm. I yeah, wonder what the combination is that causes it to... Some app I'm running, something. It's just, it's annoying. Hmm. A handheld that runs Big Sur. You're looking at your link here. I mean, friends of the show. Oh, look at that little guy. Better Rottweiler, I guess. Cool. What else is new and exciting? Are we still recording? <laughs> Uh, we can stop. We can st- I got nothing specific. We don't have to. We can, yeah, we, are still recording. Yeah. we can say, we can say goodbye. Say goodbye. Bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> All right. Are we not? Okay. Bye. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, I wonder if Zoom stopped recording when I, when I did that. Stop recording. Okay. And quick time.